Once again, good afternoon to you. It is a, a very beautiful day, and we're, we're honored to be back together. This morning we looked at several reminders concerning the soul. We looked at the reality of the soul, and of course the value of the soul. We looked at the home of the soul. We've been singing about that quite a bit today. That happy summer land of bliss, the home of the soul. And we got down to caring for the soul. That'll be our focus for just a few minutes together this evening. Caring for the soul. Wouldn't it be tragic if we had no way to care for our soul? There's a report that has been passed down through uh, the years about an unbeliever who came to the point of death And he uttered these words. He said, Oh God, if there is a God, save my soul if I have a soul. Wouldn't that be a tragic way of ending one's life? But it is not that way and it does not have to be that way. The Lord has given us his word. Wherein... He can help us to care for our soul. He can be our guide as we care for our soul. Psalm 19 verse 7 is a great little verse. Psalm 19 in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. That is, it has no flaws. It's wholly consistent. It is complete. And it is the truth. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul or reviving the soul. So the Lord, through his powerful word, absolutely helps us to care for our soul. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Hebrews 4 verse 12. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the, to the dividing of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Hebrews 4 of 12. The Lord has not left us in darkness. He has not left us helpless when it comes for, uh, to caring for our soul. So this evening we want to look at five categories Five categories in reference to and association with caring for our soul. Category number one is saving the soul. Saving the soul. We mentioned this morning from James 5, 19 and 20, that it is possible for a soul to be saved from death. A soul needs to be saved from death. The death there is, of course, spiritual death. Being separated from God. The cause of that is sin in our lives. So with sin being in our lives, it causes a spiritual death. But a soul needs to be saved from that spiritual death. When we glance over to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we read about how that at one time, if we're Christians now, at one time we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. That's why Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5 and 6 that it's possible to be alive yet dead at the same time. 
We can be alive physically but dead inwardly because our sins are still attached upon us. We're still condemned uh, in our sins. Now, the way to meet that, the way God has given us to meet this spiritual death is with another death. Okay? Not just a death of Jesus, but a death that occurs within us. Notice in Romans 6 and verse 2, Paul asked the question, How can we who are dead to sin continue any longer therein? In the process of coming to Jesus for forgiveness, we make the decision to die uh, to sin. It's very close to the idea of repentance and turning away from the world. In Colossians 3 and verse 3, notice Paul says, We have died and our life is hid with Christ in God. I love that little verse. We have died, Colossians 3 verse 3. And our life is hid with Christ in God. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, If we die with him, we shall also live with him. So that's why Peter instructed on the day of Pentecost, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, Acts 2 and 38. And so in order for our soul to be saved, then we must repent and, of course, we must be uh, baptized. We remember the words from the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, going all the way down to verse 41, Acts 2 and 41. Those who gladly received the word that Peter had been preaching on that day concerning Jesus, concerning his life, concerning his miracles, concerning the ultimate plan of God, concerning his suffering on the cross, concerning uh, his resurrection from the dead, concerning his exaltation on the right hand of God, concerning his being made both Lord and Christ, the word, those who received the word were baptized and there were added on, uh, unto them on that day about 3,000 souls, 3,000 souls. We've talked before about how that oftentimes in, in literature, just in, in communication, we will use a part of something to represent the whole of something. We'll say so-and-so has so many head of cattle. We'll say so-and-so has got a new set of wheels. My mother used to say to me, you need to shut your mouth. Okay. Well, that represented a lot of things. That represented the thoughts that's in my head. That represented the words that might come out of my mouth. And so we do that kind of language, use that kind of language all the time. And so we read in 1 Peter 3 and verse 20 that back in Noah's day, eight souls were saved by water. And then Peter follows up on that and says the light figure, 1 Peter 3, 21, the light figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience. I want a good conscience. I want to know that the Lord has forgiven me of my sins. I want to know that I am with Christ. I want to know that I'm on the path of righteousness. I want to know that I'm headed to heaven. I want to know that I'm involved in his purpose. I want that good conscience. Baptism is clearly a part of that process. And so first category here, the saving of the soul. Second category, 
this evening is the restoring of the soul. We remember the words from Psalm 23. He restores my soul. In fact, that's a beautiful song. We know that's the Good Shepherd song. That's the, that's the sheep and Good Shepherd song. And the Lord is my shepherd. Ultimately, that refers to Jesus because we read in John 10, verse 11, Jesus saying, I am the Good Shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's ultimately the Lord there in Psalm 23. There's no one as compassionate as the Lord. There's no other, there's no other way of having our, our soul restored uh, other than uh, through the Lord. He is that good shepherd. We remember the song we often sing, Bring Christ your broken life, so marred by sin. He will create it anew, make whole again. He'll make us whole again. There's the restoring of the soul. The word restore means to move back to the point of departure. To make a movement back to the point of departure. That reminds us that it is possible for a child of God to walk away from the faith. For example, we read in Hebrews 3 and verse 12, Take heed, brethren. Notice that. Take heed, brethren. These are brothers and sisters he's talking to. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing, in departing from the living God. First Timothy chapter 4, 1 and 2, Paul says, Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Peter says it like this in 2 Peter 2, and we need to remember that it is a very serious thing to walk away from the Lord. It is, it, is, um, it is most tragic when a child of God walks away. And Peter in 2 Peter 2 in verse 20, he says, If it's the case that one has escaped the defilements of the world through the uh, knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in other words, if someone has become a Christian, escaped the defilements of the world, that's, that's the great escape. That's the great escape. If someone has escaped those defilements, but then is once again entangled therein and overcome, his last state is worse than his first. And then Peter goes on, 2 Peter 2.21, he says, It would have been better for him never to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, and then turn away from the holy commandment delivered unto him. Now, we need restoring. We need to keep ourselves close uh, to the Lord. Psalm 23 does say, the Lord restores my soul. We read uh, the same verse we read this morning from 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Our inward man is renewed day by day. That's the possibility there. Our inward man can be renewed day by day. We can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12 and verse 2 says. So this is a tremendous opportunity for us to stop, not just now, but very often in our lives and ask ourselves, you know, do, do I feel closer to the Lord now than I did a week ago? Have I moved closer? Do I trust Him more? Do I know more about Him? Am I longing to be home with Him more now than I did a few days ago, a week ago, a month ago? If, it, if that's not the trend, 
then there is something of a huge, huge dimension missing in our lives. Now, this restoring must be done every day. Every day. The, the imagery there in Psalm 23 is so precious to us. Talking about a shepherd and his sheep. The sheep will run to a shepherd. And sometimes they're not hungry. They just want to feel his hand. They just want that shepherd to rub their head. They just need encouragement. Sometimes they're hungry and the shepherd does feed them. But they are close to the shepherd. We need restoring every day. That's why Jesus tells us, according to Luke 9 and 23, that we are to take up our cross daily. Take up our cross daily and follow him. We, we must rededicate ourselves to him every day. Sometimes even more, more than once a day. Just continually. The psalmist says in Psalm 1, 1 and 2 that upon the law of God he meditates day and night. Now think about what we just said. Restoring means moving back to the point of departure. And lots of times that's different for anybody. It's different from every, for everybody. What causes me to sway from the Lord may be different than what causes you. There's many things that can can interfere. There's many obstacles uh, out there. But just to name a few, we need to restore our knowledge of the Lord, our knowledge of the Word of God. There's a tremendous warning in Hebrews 5 and verse 11 that says, Some have become dull of hearing, and they needed someone to come along again and teach them the first principles of the uh, rudiments or the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got to restore our knowledge. There's no replacement. That's how we started out here thinking about the caring for the soul this evening. Psalm 19, verse 7 The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Everything we say in regard to caring for the soul is based on what the Word of God can do for us. If we generously apply the Word of God to our lives, it will do wonders for us. But if we leave it laying there, then we will go downward spiritually. We need to restore our prayer life. We need to depend on the Lord more than ever. And those little words from 1 Thessalonians 5 ought to haunt us. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Everything that takes place in our minds ought to turn into a prayer unto God. We need to restore our trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 still says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, every bit of it, and do not lean upon your own understanding. We need to restore love. Love. Love takes care of so many problems. So many problems. The little statement in 1 Peter 1, 22 comes to mind, where Peter says, Seeing then that you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth, Unto the unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now look at all that. Our love is to be fervent. Our love is to be pure. Our love is to be unfeigned or sincere. Our love is to be for the Lord certainly, but also for each other. In 1 John 3 verse 18 
He says, let us not just love in word only, but in deed and in truth as well. Jesus said, probably the greatest challenge ever, ever given to mankind, John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said to his disciples, as I have loved you, you also love one another. We need to restore that as well. And we must restore a zeal for reaching the lost souls of the world. And it's very interesting that this definition of restore, to move back to the point of departure, is almost spelled out in Revelation 2, beginning in verse 4, in Jesus' message uh, to the church at Ephesus. He said, I have this against you. I have somewhat against you. If the, the Lord was sending us a message, and he said, I've got this against you, then we would set up, and we would certainly be on the edge of our seat, and we would say, okay, what is this? He said to the church at Ephesus, he said, you have left your first love. Remember where you have fallen. Go back to that point of departure. Remember where you have fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Notice the first love and the first works there, most likely they had stopped reaching for lost souls. They had become complacent. They had become satisfied. And the Lord is very irritated about this. In fact, he says, else I will come and remove your candlestick. This is displeasing uh, to the Lord to become complacent. So we must restore a zeal for um, for lost souls. Paul mentioned one time in Romans 10, 2 and 3 of his Jewish brethren. He said, they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. That's wrong. But it's also wrong to have knowledge of the Lord and not have zeal. So let us take the heed from God. So the first category is saving the soul. The second is restoring uh, the soul. The third category together uh, this evening is protecting the soul. Third category is protecting the soul. And for our uh, consideration, let's notice 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Peter says, as pilgrims and sojourners, you need to abstain from fleshly lust, fleshly passions that war against the soul. And let's make just three quick remarks uh, there. First, to protect the soul, we've got to have the right approach in life. Okay? And that approach is explained to us there. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are just a passing through, as our song says. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. That must be our approach in life if we're going to uh, protect the soul. If we ever go the other direction, our soul will be uh, in danger. Philippians uh, 3, verse number 20, Paul says, we are, Our citizenship is in heaven. We need to repeat that to ourselves. Our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for a Savior, and we look one day to meet Him in the air, so that we can go home uh, to be with Him. But our citizenship is in heaven. We must have, we must have this approach in life if we're going to protect our soul. But then also, we've got to have the right amount of abstaining. We must abstain 
from fleshly lust. What's the right amount? Well, every time there's a fleshly lust, we've got to try our very best to abstain uh, from it. James 1 uh, is a commentary on this fleshly lust business. James 1, 13, let no man say when he is tempted that he has been tempted uh, by God, for God uh, does not tempt anyone. He says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished with you, brings forth death. And that's what we're fighting. We want to save our soul from death. We must protect ourselves from fleshly lust. Notice it says that this is where a big part of the war is. Is in these fleshly lusts. Look in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and pick up on some of this. Galatians 5, looking down to about verse 24. He says, They that are of Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with the passions and the lust thereof. That's part of our coming to Christ and we're, we die to sin. We meet, on, we meet, we counter that spiritual death with a death of our own, that being crucified. We die to sin. We must go back to that. We must restore that. We must come back to that in our battle for the soul. In Galatians chapter 6 as well, as long as you're there in Galatians 6, you might pick up in uh, verse 8 where uh, Paul says, God is not mocked. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit of God, he that stays in the Word of God brought to us by the Spirit of God, shall reap everlasting life. Let us not be weary. Let us not succumb. Let us fight hard against fleshly lust. We must protect our soul. And that happens, according to Peter, by the right approach in life and the right amount of abstaining from fleshly lust. And then he says, you've got to have the right aim as well. If you go on and read in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, he goes on to say, you've got to have your conversation, you've got to have your behavior seemly among the Gentiles. Seemly just simply means... You've got to act appropriately in this world in accordance to how a Christian should behave himself or herself. So that when they speak evil of you as evildoers, and this they will do, we should not be blown out of the water when those who are not with the Lord speak evil of us as evildoers. Okay? It's going to happen. But he says, keep your behavior seemly among the Gentiles so that when they speak evil of you, they can, by your good works which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now that's our aim. Our aim is to be able to glorify God on that final day. And our aim is for everybody that's within our contact, everybody that we can possibly get a hold of, for them to be able to do the same thing. The right approach, the right abstaining, 
and the right aim in life will get us there. We can protect our soul. The fourth category is adorning the soul. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. The fourth category is adorning the soul. You remember this from the, from the words of Peter. Peter says, especially addressing uh, ladies here in 1 Peter 3, uh, especially addressing ladies uh, with husbands, especially addressing ladies who do not have believing husbands or husbands who are not uh, becoming the God, man of God that they need to become. He's addressing these ladies. He says, here's what you need to do. He says, you don't need to let your adorning be upon those things of the outward man, such as the plaiting of the hair or of the um, putting on of certain clothes or the putting on the jewels. And just add your list uh, to that. You know what he means there. He says, says, rather, her adorning should be upon the inward person, that beautiful person on the inside. And it needs to be adorned with two things. Meekness and quietness. So adorning the soul begins with an inward focus. An inward focus. We read, of course, in Proverbs 4 and 23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, are, out of it comes all the issues of life. So to adorn the soul starts with an inward focus, focusing on the heart. But then you follow up with inward qualities, and Peter lists two important ones here, meekness and quietness. Meekness basically means self-control. Self-control. One of the greatest qualities of a young wife is to learn that self-control. Self-control, to be modest. To be able to have her own spirit under the direction of God. That will do more for her husband than she could possibly uh, understand. It's, it doesn't just come out of some vacuum that behind every good man is a woman. A good woman, godly woman. And she needs to have this quality of meekness, self-control. What happens when, when someone worries they let their mind run. Their mind runs ahead. Their mind runs in this direction. Their mind runs in that direction. But a lady of self-control will calm her mind. And she will be the center of the home. And it will help her husband learn to trust the Lord in deeper ways. Martha, Martha, Jesus said, Luke 10. Thou art anxious and troubled about many things. Her mind was running in a lot of different directions. Jesus said, you need to calm down. Bring yourself under the control of the Lord. The Lord is going to take care of you. The Lord has promised that he will take care of you. And then the next word here is quietness. Quietness. This word is the opposite of aggression it is the opposite of um, being bossy it's the opposite of being um, nosy it is again a calmness the meekness and the quietness go hand in hand 
to be quiet. The same word is used over in Acts chapter 22, and I think you're going to want to look at this. Acts 22, I think it's very interesting, maybe you don't, but at the, they've got Paul, you know. They've arrested Paul. They, well, they've taken him into custody in order to save him from this mob that's about to tear him to pieces. And so they're about to carry him up these stairs into these barracks just to try to get some order to things because some of his own Jewish people were trying to, trying to grab him and, and basically kill him. And as Paul's going up to those stairs, he asks the soldiers, says, uh, can you put me down? I want to speak to these people. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. If ever there is a great moment in the Apostle's life, this is it. So they said, okay. So notice here, at the end of chapter 21, Acts 21, verse 40, Paul, standing on the stairs, beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, there's our word, great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear ye the defense which I now make unto you. And Acts 22, verse 2, And when they heard that he spake unto them in the Hebrew language, they were even more quiet. So notice how that when Paul raised his hand, they settled down. But when they heard that he was speaking in the Hebrew language, they settled on down even more. That's our word quiet in 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. She is to be, and we are to adorn our souls with meekness, self-control, and quietness. That is, we, are, we have a settled conviction in God. My faith in God is settled. And I don't have to be agitated. I don't have to raise my voice. I don't have to make a lot of noise, emotion. I don't have to be aggressive. I don't have to be loud. I don't have to be bossy because my faith is settled in the Word of God and in God Himself. Now, ladies, if you want your man to become more and more a man of God, these two qualities come into your life, that's what will happen. He'll become more because he will learn from you. And there's something a man learns from his wife that no one, no one else can teach him. Adorning the soul. It begins with an inward focus. And then there's this inward qualities that's added. And we could add more than this, but Peter says meekness and quietness. And then that results in the inward beauty. And an appreciation for that inward beauty. Uh, you, there's no substitute for this. Remember, Peter says here in, in 1 Peter 3, 4, all of this in the sight of God is of great price. We must have an appreciation for inward beauty. We must learn to appreciate that inward beauty much, 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 much more than any kind of outward beauty. You want to teach your sons to look for inward beauty in a young lady or else his life and your life and your family's life and in the sight of God things could go astray. So the saving of the soul, one category, the restoring of the soul, 
another category, the protecting of the soul, third category, and then the fourth category, adorning the soul, or that is, uh, clothing the soul, and finally, working in behalf of other souls is our final category. I won't say much about this, but I have great confidence in you, that you want to work, you do, and you want to work in behalf of other souls, souls that don't know the Lord. We remember Paul's words in Galatians 6, verse 1, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. If, if somebody is overtaken in a fault, if someone is away from the Lord, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. What can motivate us better and more to do this very thing? I believe that if we will go back and focus on some of the thoughts from this morning, on the value of the soul especially, and wanting others to enjoy that home of the soul, perhaps that can motivate us. Certainly, we can be motivated by not only the value of the soul, but the value of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's just, if that can't motivate us, then there's not much that, that really can. A song comes to mind. Jesus paid it all. What follows after that? All to him I owe. That songwriter got it right. That is absolutely scriptural. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Where would we ever begin to think that at some point in our life we can take a break from being as vigorous and diligent toward the Lord as we possibly can? When we see Jesus gave it all, the Lord gave it all, how can we give less? And then what about the value of the Word of God? Perhaps the value of the soul and the value of Jesus' death and the value of the Word. Why do I say value of the Word? Because it's the Word that talks about hell. Jude 23 says, We are seeking to save others because in saving others we will snatch them from the fire. That's what Jude says, Jude 23. We need motivation in order to be working in behalf of other souls. So these categories can help us perhaps to care for our souls. Better than that, we should say it this way. By focusing on these words in these categories, these words from God, then the Lord himself will indeed care for our soul. Even though it is the Lord caring for our soul, in another real sense, our soul, your soul, is in your hands. God created us as beings of reason, beings of feeling, beings of logic. He gives us the ability to look around, read, and see, observe life, and make our own choice. Choose you this day. In a very real sense, our souls are in our own hands. We're going to sing now this song of encouragement. And if there is a way that we can assist anyone with gospel obedience, salvation of souls uh, this evening, please make that known right now as we stand together. Brother Aaron, as we sing.